Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. Well, who am I kidding? This isn't just another episode. This is episode 300. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And I really want to thank you for listening, whether this is your first episode or you've listened to all 300. Over the past four years, I have been committed in bringing you the very best guests, the best conversations, the best evidence of the afterlife, and empowering you to live a great life. As this is a special episode, I have a very special and wonderful guest. Today on the show, we are welcoming back fourth generation and world-renowned psychic medium, Mark Anthony, who's better known as the psychic lawyer. Mark is an Oxford-educated attorney and the author of the best-selling books, Never Letting Go, Healing Grief with Help from the Other Side, and Evidence of Eternity communicating with spirits for proof of the afterlife. His website is evidenceofeternity.com. Mark is regularly featured on major television and radio shows and is a headliner speaker nationwide. In fact, Mark has graciously accepted to be the keynote speaker at my We Don't Die Orlando event, March 29th through 31st. He'll kick off the event with his keynote speech on Friday and close the event on Sunday evening with a special evening of spirit communication. You don't want to miss it, and you can find out more at WeDon'tDieOrlando.com. Mark Anthony, my friend, welcome back to We Don't Die Radio. Sandra, it is so great to be here. Uh, I mean, you are like my sister from another mister. Aww. I mean, every time we get together, we just start cracking up and uh, we have so much fun. And so I want to thank you for having me on the show and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. Thanks. And really, episode 300 and you're the one I wanted to be my guest for this because this is a big deal. It, it really is. I mean, it's such an honor to be here. And you know, the thing is, um, I don't, I don't know how many people uh, realize this, but the whole "We Don't Die" movement that you have started is really. Um, I mean, it's gained so much momentum, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. And you know, we've not only done events in in Arizona, but now you're taking the "We Don't Die" conferences around the country. I think you just wrapped up uh, one in Boston, and then uh, we're gearing up for the one in Orlando, uh, which is going to uh, going to be right at Lake Buena Vista, right on Disney's doorstep. So. Oh. This is going to be a lot of fun. And you can make a vacation out of it and have some really great content and a great program to attend. So I'm excited. We don't die. Orlando.com is that website. Um, Mark, many people, this might be their first episode and have not heard you. You you are a guest originally on episode 124. But would you mind just talking a little bit about you and your background and how you got into this wonderful world of mediumship? You know, I didn't really have a choice when it came to being a medium, and the reason that I say that, Sandra, is both of my parents had these abilities, and it runs in my family, on both my mother's and father's side of the family for generations. Uh, there have always been uh, people with these gifts, and I've tracked it back uh, to the late 19th century. And the reason that I, I haven't been able to go back any further is that the the records are fragmentary, and plus, anybody that would have known someone uh, in that time frame, they have they have transitioned to the other side. Right. And my father was a Navy SEAL and a NASA engineer, but he had this ability uh, to see and hear spirits. And his sister Marjorie did, his mother uh, Isabel, and his maternal grandmother Grace did. And then my mother. Mom was amazing. She was like the whole package. I mean, mom could see future events. She could perceive spirits. And her maternal grandmother, who would be my great-grandmother, Giovanna, uh, was actually featured a couple years ago in in a, a PBS special that was on television called The Italian-Americans. And uh, Giovanna, she died way back in the 1960s, but 
she came from Italy to New York City, and she gained a reputation as the woman who knew things. And nuns, priests, and even uh, bishops and cardinals used to consult with her because of her spirituality. So, I mean, this is this is the family that I was born into, and so when two parents have the same recessive genetic trait recessive meaning it you know skips a few generations but they both had it and uh then the likelihood of one of their children having these abilities increases uh, greatly, and that child happens to be me. So I was born into this world <laughs> um, where by the time I was three, about three and a half, I started talking to all my invisible friends, and mom and dad were okay with that to an extent. Uh, my dad wasn't so happy because of the way his family, particularly his sister, had been treated, but they understood what was going on. So, and they were very good about telling me just keep this in the family uh, because people will not understand. So, that's that's a a snapshot of my family background. And so, as I got older, I was drawn to the clergy. I wanted to, uh, having been raised Catholic, I had considered very seriously, Sandra, going into the clergy as a priest, but I found it too restrictive and, and constricting in a number of ways. And I know my parents were telling me, they said, you know, Mark, um, the problem is they're going to tell you no, 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 um, when what we see is much broader than the restrictions of a religion. And so I thought there was too many rules and regulations in becoming a priest. And so I went to law school. So <laughs> I guess I <laughs> traded. <laughs> yeah, go figure. I guess I traded one set of rules and regulations for another. Um, but uh, um, it was always it's always been with me. It's organic to me. And then it got to a point where I decided to practice uh, as a medium and a public speaker full-time, although I still appear on shows like this one and on TV and radio as a legal analyst, uh, paranormal expert, uh, attorney, uh, and psychic medium, and um, a lot of times in cases where the paranormal and the legal system collide. Uh, such as like you know demonic possession as a defense, or does you know does a house with a haunted reputation? How does that affect property values? I was um, on radio about the Slenderman stabbings. I was on uh, CBS TV show The Doctors, and I uh, did a reading in a cold case. And I'm very honored and humbled to say that the information that came through me from the spirit of the, the murder victim led to the arrest of the killer uh, last year. Terrific. Wow. That's extraordinary. Do you, do you remember, Mark, at what point, I mean, not, you need to, I don't need to know the point where you said, even though I've gone into law, the spirit world's knocking too much and I really need to work on their behalf and help mend grieving hearts or did it come out of wanting to help people with grief at the time or more giving evidence of the afterlife? Well, I always had a bit of a reputation, if you will, in the legal system for uh, definitely being different and definitely having insights that a lot of other attorneys didn't quite catch. And, um, but and that there's a whole bunch of stories there, but focusing on, on your question, when my mother died, um, it, it was it was really hard um, because what had happened is I was at my office and all of a sudden I felt like having spaghetti. So I picked up the phone and I called my mom because I you know I lived in the same city and and she says, "Hey, honey, I made spaghetti for lunch. Uh, can you come over?" And I said, "Sure." So so I went over and I'm, you know I remember sitting there and we were eating spaghetti and my dad was there and we were laughing and talking and mom looked tired and I was a little, little concerned. But uh, I'll never forget this, Sandra. When I was getting ready to leave, she hugged and kissed me. She always did, you know. And but she said, "Mark, I love you so much, and I'm so happy that you've been my son." And it was like, "Well, gosh, mom, thanks. I love you too." And I give her a big hug and a kiss. But it felt kind of kind of strange. And the next morning I was in court and the judge's assistant came into the courtroom and she said, Mark, we need you right now in the judge's chambers. So 
the judge was on the bench, so I knew something bad had happened. And I went into Chambers, and uh, I, I got the phone call that my mother had died in her sleep. And it just – talk about pulling the rug right out from under me. And within days, I started getting visitations from her. But there was this one, and I'll never forget, um, I, um, I was in my car and I had to pull over and all of a sudden this flash went off in my head and I looked to, I was in the, you know, the driver's seat and I was physically alone in the car and I looked to the passenger seat and I could see my mother's silhouette and it was like this silver white light. And this message came to me and it said, Mark, you have been given the gift of mediumship so that you would not be crushed by grief, but now you must help those who are suffering with theirs. And it was very interesting, Sandra, because I don't believe that anything is a coincidence. I don't think anything is random within the next, I'd say within the next year Events started leading to where um, all of a sudden the door to doing mediumship full-time opened, and I realized this is what I was supposed to do. So, you know, I, I certainly keep up my certification on being an attorney, and that's why I um, use it now in the form of a legal analyst and to help police on, on cold cases. So, in a sense, I'm still practicing law. But the focus of my life's work now is fivefold. It is to help people understand that God exists, that heaven, the other side, the afterlife, nirvana, whatever you would like to call it, exists. Three, that our soul is an immortal living spirit. Four, we can and do communicate with souls. And finally, that we will be reunited with our loved ones in the light and that became very, very clear to me, and that is the focus of my life. Oh, I just brought a big smile to my face. I had an opportunity to travel to England last September to an event that nobody knew me, which was really nice. And it was a small gathering with a handful of mediums and other people talking about the afterlife and uh, a medium from Europe got up and she just started reading the crowd and she brought through my father with as much detail as you could possibly give airline pilot captain for American airlines. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. And I was blown away. But the message was your father says he sees you putting on events in the United States, bringing this feeling that you're feeling now to others. He wants you to remember the pain that you felt from grief and the love you now feel. And your job, and he walks by your side, is to give that to other people. And like that you got from your mom, I feel like I've got that from my dad. And you and I both have felt the sting of grief on several occasions. Just because we believe doesn't mean we don't feel the pain. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyways, uh, definitely I support you on your passion and your mission. Well, that's, that's why you and I are talking now. That's why we're doing this show, um, because both of us, yes, we're, we're, we're involved in uh, the metaphysical um, world and this, this work with the afterlife, and there was a time when this was c considered completely fringe, if not demonic, by you know religious mm -hmm. fanatics that passed themselves off as Christians, um, and... But now this is becoming mainstream. It's being discussed. I mean, I was on a national television show discussing this, um, or, or I mean, on, on several shows throughout throughout the the country, and and on a number of national shows, both in on TV and on radio. Um, I've written books about it, explaining the quantum physics aspect of it. I've been in laboratories with scientists who are studying the afterlife. So this has gone from being fringe to being mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing is the natural and logical progression and response to what has both happened to us. The thing is, Sandra, what you said was so very poignant. You know, you were grieving, you went to England, and the messages from the other side, from your dad in particular, came through to say that you'll be doing these conferences to help people have this healing uh, feeling 
healing feeling. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so that's very much what happened with me because I had gotten to the point in my career. And one of the reasons that I am taken seriously is because of my credentials. I mean, you know, I, I attended Oxford. I graduated with honors from a law school here. I'm a member of the United States Supreme Court Bar, Florida Bar, Washington, D.C. Bar. And I've tried well over 300 jury trials. And, you know, I'm not some guy running around with daisies in my hair, snorting granola, saying, <laughs> oh, like, whatever, did. You know, it's like, and, and same thing with you. You're an extremely credible and serious person. And when somebody dies, it is a life-changing event for the survivors. Yet we have a choice, not in the fact that they died, but how we respond to it. And in my work as an attorney, certainly and definitely as a medium, I've seen people choose the path of drugs and alcohol, avoidance, denial, acting out, and the rage behaviors. Those never have a happy ending. Then there's other people who explore their spirituality, find a connection with with the higher power, with God, and what happens is they become more spiritual, they become deeper, more compassionate, and they understand that death is transference of energy from the material world to the other side. Now, just because we understand that, and, and you said this perfectly, you know, that, like it doesn't affect us. Oh, it hurts uh, for the listeners. It hurts Sandra and it hurts I, uh, uh, myself, every bit as much as it does anybody else. The fact that we work with the afterlife and work in the metaphysical realm gives us insights and helps us cope with it. But no matter how many insights or coping you have, it still really hurts. Yeah, it does. But what a difference it makes to be part of a community, have friends, to not go it alone. And that's very, very important. And that's what's so nice about uh, the We Don't Die show and the We Don't Die conferences is it is demonstrating to people that you do not have to go through this alone. And you shouldn't. And and on my website, evidenceofeternity.com, there's a page, uh, Grief Management. And on the grief management page, there are um, several different uh, other pages about positive ways of coping with grief, uh, different religions' views on the immortality of the soul, spirit contact as a tool in healing from grief. And and there's a very important one, Sandra, um, the best and worst things to say to someone in grief. Because let's say, all right, you're working in an office and one of your coworkers, somebody that you like, you know, um, her, her mother dies. What do you say to her? You don't want to go up and, and people will say things like, well, you'll get through it. Be strong. Oh, she's in a better place. Well, you know, life goes on. All right. Although those are well-intentioned mm-hmm. statements, those hurt. It's better to say things like, I can't imagine what you're going through. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't know what to say. I wish I had the right words. Or, you know, I, I met your mom once and she was just such a nice person. I think she was awesome. Okay, share a happy memory with someone. So so there's different ways of approaching that because a lot of times people don't mean to say something hurtful or offensive, yet sometimes they do. And it's very important to be aware of that. So it's not just the person going through the grief. It's people around that person who need to know how to be supportive. And, and don't go up and tell somebody, you know, you really should get in counseling. All right, because then what you're saying is, well, you're crazy. Okay. But on the other hand, don't go through it alone. And it's okay to go to grief share groups or, or count, you know, group, uh, group therapy, uh, support groups. Because it doesn't mean you're crazy. It just means... You need some help getting through this right now. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before everyone has a loved one who transitions and experiences it. And I know too, Mark, very often when people don't know what to say, they can disappear from someone's life. I've heard so many people say, you know, a good friend of mine just stopped calling me. I think it's that fear of not knowing what to say. They go away. You know, it it totally is because, you know, well, it's like, when you deal with parents who've lost children, what happens is 
all of a sudden their other married friends sort of melt away because it becomes very awkward. You know, let's say you have a, a child who died that's, you know, you know maybe uh, 10 years old. And then, you know, of course, you're going to socialize with other parents who have children in that age range. It becomes very awkward and uncomfortable. And I've seen this time and time again with parents who've lost children. Now, like with the Helping Parents Heal and, and other groups like uh, Compassionate Friends, there are, are support groups and organizations for, for the angel parents. Uh, that's what, what they've come to be known as. Um, and, and that's very helpful. But uh, distancing yourself from somebody because they sustained a loss can be very hurtful, very, very hurtful as well. Yeah, we grieve a second time. Not only did we lose our loved one, but now we lose a good friend. You know, it's tough. So I love what you say. And even the words you said in the beginning, what not to say. I just started cringing how many of those I heard. And it's like, I want to wring your neck. Don't say that. God did not need another angel in heaven. <laughs> yeah, or, well, gosh, you know, uh, like when my dad died, you know, people said, well, he was really old. Ah. Uh -huh. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. they'll know soon enough. Now, why did you write Never Letting Go? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that deals with healing grief. Yeah, Never Letting Go um, is recommended by hospices and grief counselors around the world, and it's in a number of different languages. And I actually wrote that in response to my mother's death. And, and where I got the, the impetus for that is uh, for about, about two months after her mom passed, I started going to a grief share group at a local church. And I saw that I seemed to be, I don't want to say healing, let's say recovering faster from the initial shock um, much more quickly than other people. And then it turned into, well, you know, if your son was here, maybe he'd want you to know this, because what, what was happening is uh, people's spirits started coming through. And uh, I remember uh, it was at a Catholic church, and the lady that was the facilitator of the group, she was from Ireland, and after one of the meetings, she goes, you know, Mark, you can't be doing this. I go, what? She goes, I know what you're doing. You're talking to dead people here. And I said, well, we're in a Catholic church. Like, isn't that what we do? <laughs> you know? right. and, and, you know, But no, we can't do it like that. And so I decided to stop going and I was at a grocery store and I, I, I'll never forget this. I was going to get a carton of milk and all of a sudden I heard, Mark! And I turned around and there was this little tiny lady there and she had gone to the grief group and I knew that she was like well into her 80s and she came up and she took my hand and she said, we wish you'd come back to the grief group. You made us feel better. Oh. And I hugged her, and, and what had happened is her husband had died, and they'd been married like 65 years. I mean, it was like a really long, long marriage, and, and she was completely lost without him, un, you know, understandably so. And so I remember going home that night, and I started making notes, and I said, you know what? I need to write a book to show people how to get through grief through spirit contact, in other words, spirit contact as a tool in healing uh, from grief. So the the title of the book is Never Letting Go. What that means is you have to let go of the sorrow and the agony and the pain associated with the death, but you must never let go of the love for the person who died. And, and that's where I differ with grief counselors. They say, well, you have to let go. Well, you're not going to, so why? But learn to let go of the things that make you feel guilty and sad and, and so upset. So, so that's, that was the, uh, the genesis, if you will, for, for my first book, Never Letting Go. Terrific. And how about your second book, Evidence of Eternity? Can you share about that? Sure. I was on the Never Letting Go uh, speaking tour, and I was all over the country, and people would come up and ask all sorts of questions. And I started making a list of those questions, like, is there a scientific basis for this? My son committed suicide. Did he go to hell? Do animals have souls? Is there a God? Is there a heaven? Is reincarnation real? Um, I saw this. How can I make sense of this? So I started keeping track of... Uh, the most poignant questions, and that became the start of of evidence of eternity. And I'm I'm very very 
proud of Evidence of Eternity, if you will. It's the first book of its genre that was submitted and considered for a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, thank you. I'll never forget getting the notification from Columbia University, uh, Office of the Pulitzer. And I, and I thought, you know, Sandra, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I get this email and I'm looking at it. I open it up and I go, that's pretty official. And I go, all right, one of my friends is doing something. So I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll call the number. And the answer go, um, Columbia University, Officer of the Pulitzer, Office of the Pulitzer. And I said, really? And I so I asked about my book and they looked it up and gave me the ISBN number. They said, yes, uh, submitted for Pulitzer and it's being reviewed by the committee now. And I'm like, OMG. Um, so, so it is in, I think, six or seven different languages. It's now an audio book. And, and uh, Evidence of Eternity, and both my books are going strong. And so now I'm in the process of writing my next book because people are, you know, are, are very, very nice. I mean, they're like, mm -hmm. you know, when's your next book coming out? And they're all excited. And the thing is, and, and you know this, Sandra, you wrote a book. You just don't whip it out. I mean, it, it no. takes time. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it takes time when you can make the time to do it. And if, yeah. Prayer. And people are like, well, if it's important enough, you'll make time to do it. It's like, yes, but you know, the creative process is not like flipping on a light switch. You know, you have to be, um, in a, in an environment conducive to, to the creative process and working and writing and, and, and I absolutely love doing it. Plus the amount of research, uh, that I've been putting into, into all my books, um, and this new one, I am going much deeper into quantum physics, uh, substantiating the basis of the soul, the afterlife, how spirit communication works, um, the very essence of consciousness and existence itself. And the research that, um, that I've compiled over the last 10 years is in fact actually longer than that but um but that's what i am am putting into this book and the most challenging part well there's everything about it's challenging because you know it's it's a lot of work mm -hmm. but take quantum physics and now put it take a very difficult or esoteric concept and put it into two or three paragraphs that somebody wants to read <laughs> You know, I mean, and, and there was one day, I'll never forget this. I was trying to understand this one concept, and and um, it was about the different type of particles, and there's the Higgs boson particle, and there's quanta, and there's, you know, a quark and all this stuff. And I, I just was, like, losing it. And all of a sudden, in my research, I come across uh, a quote from uh, uh, Werner Heisenberg, and, it, and, and, I, and I just burst into laughter. And he said, when you think you understand quantum physics, you really don't. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I feel better now. Werner Heisenberg experienced this phenomenon. It, it just cracked me up. And uh, but, but what I've been seeing, Sandra, is that what the great physicists – were theorizing, you know, you had Heisen, Werner Heisenberg, Albert Einstein, Max Planck, uh, Niels Bohr, uh, Louis de Broglie, um, and, and uh, you had all of them at the beginning of the 20th century. And there was this explosion of understanding of the universe, not just in the far reaches of space, but on the um, subatomic level. And all of a sudden, it just made sense to me. And so I would, you know, be doing my readings and spirits would start telling me things about the nature of the other side and energy transfer and how they communicate and, and how everything's energetically interconnected. And then I'd take what they told me and I'd start researching to see if there's anything to back it up. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know. And so, so that is, is uh, what has lit the fire uh, in me to, to work on this new book. Oh, I love it. I remember the first time I heard that two forms of energy can coexist in the same place, you know? So I've got lights on around me. There's the wireless internet, there's radio waves and all this. And that's when it hit me. Heaven is not out there somewhere. Like the term hereafter, I think is accurate. They're just vibrating in a different level. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, FM and AM radio coexist in the, in the same space 
and uh, they both move at the speed of light, everything in the electromagnetic spectrum does. And people always ask me, well, um, are they around me all the time or are they alone? Well, first off, no, they're never alone because they're pure energy. Secondly, um, people tend to think of spirits as merely invisible humans with our same finite limitations, mm -hmm. and they're not. Um, certainly, they're, they're consciousness, and they carry with them their memories and personality. But being pure energy, they're able to move at the speed of light, which is why they can be around us and are aware of what is happening in our lives. Now, I think that it's very comforting to, to um, understand these things and to see how all of this works. I also do not believe that this contradicts uh, the major belief systems in the world. And and we were talking before we went on that a lot of people think, you know, mediumship's the work of the devil and blah, 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 blah. And look, I don't get bogged down in, in nonsense written in the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, which is rooted in fear and, and all of that. And I certainly have the research to back up why the men, and I stress men, who wrote the Bible, um, the Bible is written by men for men to subjugate women and keep men in power. And yes, there's a lot of uh, things in the Bible that were inspired by extremely spiritual people that did have amazing connections with God, but it has been manipulated and twisted for thousands of years so that it can justify people's political agendas. Now, a lot of people get all bent out of shape when I say things like that, um, but when you start looking at what the great spiritual teachers, like the, the Hindu sages, Buddha, uh, Jesus, uh, Gandhi, Lao Tzu, uh, the Native American spirituality. Isn't it fascinating, Sandra, how they all reference God in terms of light? Yes. This is a reoccurring theme. And isn't it interesting that the only form of electromagnetic energy that we are capable of perceiving with the naked eye is light? And isn't it interesting that when people have immensely spiritual experiences where their consciousness elevates, or better yet, they have a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience, they go into the Light. light. Yes. So we're starting to see right across the board that what uh, Jesus, Moses, Buddha, Krishna uh, were discussing, they were describing their interaction with uh, the spiritual energy of God based on the terminology of the day mm -hmm. that was available to them. I mean, even the, you know, the ancient Egyptians were talking about um, light in terms of the divine. Um, so did the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, uh, the Chinese. It just goes on and on and on. And so now we have the study of quantum physics, which is helping us to understand this. And that's why I think that the ultimate objective of science is the discovery of God. Mm, that's pretty deep. Pretty cool, though. And even looking at everything around me, as human beings, I think we fall into the illusion that everything is real. And I remember the first time I'd seen that movie, What the Bleep Do We Know?, that broke down things into their most tiniest particle. And it's just empty space, vibrating energy. It Well, it is. But then there's another school of thought that uh, um, something only exists if it can be perceived. And then if, if it can only exist at being perceived, then its existence is interpreted through that which is perceiving it. So let's say that, um, you know, 200 million years ago, the only thing on Earth that was perceiving anything was a dinosaur. Uh, so that e existence was only able to be interpreted through the perception of a dinosaur. Eh, I'm having a little little hard time there. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, yeah, you never know. But but um, I think though, for me and for I'd say probably millions, if not even uh, billions of people, people want to know. And yes, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and there's the saying, "Believing is not seeing," you know. And blessed are those who believe and do not yet see. I. I tend to agree more with the Buddhists and the Hindus mm -hmm. 
that people need the direct experience. I'm sorry, but reading a book or having uh, somebody tell me, believe what I tell you, doesn't work for me. I want the direct personal experience. And that's where like um, Hindus in particularly, what you and I refer to as psychic phenomenon and mediumship is part of the spiritual journey of a Hindu. In other words, in in the East, um, the Hindus, and and to some extent the Buddhists, um, believe that you should see God and that you can see God, whereas in in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, um, God is this lofty, distant thing, and you can only get to God. There's only one way. It depends on you know whose way, who's telling you that. Uh, you have to go through that that particular faith's clerics and their interpretation of it. Um, yet then again, when you look at the words of Jesus, did he not say the kingdom of God is within? Yes. So so um, while people of religion would have you believe that you can only access the higher power uh, interface with God through them, Jesus was saying, God, the kingdom of God is within, meaning you have your own direct personal relationship with with uh, the universe, with God, you know, however, however you want to term that. I like the word God. Okay, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go on record. I like the word God. <laughs> Fair enough. It, it's great because as far as going on our own journey, I started my journey back in the mid-90s with a fear of dying. And I too was Catholic, but just the faith didn't do it for me to quench the fear. I had to go on my journey of discovery get involved with everything I could find about the afterlife, have experiential um, retreats and things like that. And to be where I am today, it, it wasn't as easy as just faith. Well, no, but in, in now I want to jump on the other side of the fence. You know, when people say, oh, you're trash in the Bible. Well, the Bible is filled with mediums and psychics. Um, let's take Joseph. Okay, Joseph was brought before Pharaoh because Pharaoh was having disturbing dreams of seven fat cows emerging from the Nile River only to be devoured by seven skinny cows, seven fat ears of corn, so on and so forth. And it was known that Joseph, who was imprisoned at the time, had the gift of of prophecy and could interpret dreams. And what he told Pharaoh was there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Now he's telling the future. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, so, so, you know, you go a couple chapter, you know, a few, uh, uh, maybe 50 or 60 passages prior to that. And, you know, uh, it's an abomination and all this and that. So, so the thing is where we're considered good guys is when they call us prophets and prophetesses, like the prophetess Deborah, who helped the general Barak with her um, uh, mystical insights to overcome the Canaanites. Um, you know, if you if you go through the Bible, it's chock full of people with with uh, what we would now consider to be psychic abilities, mm. and and so that's why you know you've got to be careful about casting the first stone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I I just love I just love. There's a couple, couple. Um, well, it's pretty much everything Jesus said. Well, how about everything Jesus said? Um, what was right on target? Um, I, I, in fact, Bible scholars feel there's one passage in the Bible that they absolutely believe was translated properly through the centuries. <clears throat> it's when Jesus was at the temples, right before he was arrested and crucified, and you know, the the Jews. The Jewish religion forbids graven images, yet there was an image of Caesar in the temple. And the Pharisees were there, Roman guards were there, there was a big crowd, so plenty of witnesses. And somebody said, what about the image of Caesar? And what they were trying to do is trap 
Jesus into saying, oh, we got to tear that down because then the Romans would be able to arrest him right away for defacing an image of Caesar. And then if he said something in support of it, he would be contradicting Jewish law by upholding a graven image. I mean, they, they really created a very clever trap for him. And then Jesus's response was, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. And it was like, oh, he got us. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it's just beautiful. And I remember uh, sitting through a lecture where there were really credible biblical scholars were saying that, you know, this has been interpreted and looked at. And they said this was, was like the perfect Jesus statement, you know, because they were really trying to uh, uh, trap him. Also, the um, those among you who was without sin cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be not only one of the most important messages, but the one that a lot of people who like to say they're Christian really miss out on following. Um, it's, it's in, in religion is, is a good thing as long as it is a conduit to peace and, and, um, helping other people and to kindness but when it becomes a moral justification for anger, bigotry, hatred, and violence, it has nothing to do then with God or the teachings of Jesus Jesus or Krishna or anybody else. It then becomes um, a moral justification for an ego-driven personality's political or um, um, financial agenda. And, and that's where these people that get in there and proclaim I am a Christian or I'm a Muslim, and then they go and do these horrific things, that has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with ego, which is edging God out. Yes. Amen, brother. <laughs> wow. I, I remember seeing you speak, uh, doing a speech a couple of years ago, and it just really touched me because it was like I had no idea that so much I think you were saying things had been taken out of the Bible, but there have there are things in the Bible about afterlife communication and psychic prophecy and, and all that stuff. Just how much man influenced it. So it made me feel comfortable that I'm not doing anything wrong studying the afterlife. Well, certainly not. I mean, um, <laughs> since I'm already on the hate list of a bunch of uh, fanatics, um, <laughs> Jesus demonstrated every form of psychic ability that there is. Um, healing, energy healing, foretelling the future. By the time the cock crows twice, you will have denied even knowing me three times that he said to Peter. And then, of course, there's the transfiguration. And so Jesus ascends to the top of a mountain with a select group of disciples. He begins to glow white, and a mist forms around him, and the spirits of Elijah and Moses appear on either side of him. So essentially, Jesus is bringing forth spirits of Moses and Elijah, and they take, um, if not you know, uh, corporeal form, form enough to where they could be recognized and identified. Now, that's physical mediumship. And the white mist and the glow and the energy, that's ectoplasm. So so when people get all, you know, oh, what you do is evil and all this, it's like, well, your belief system's based on this, <laughs> a large part of it. So anyway, but an inconvenient, an inconvenient truth for those who who do not want to um, accept that God did not close the book on us 2,000 years ago. And um, God is an ever-present part of our lives, and, and God is the energy that flows through us, binds us, and connects all of us. So I'm, I'm very content in knowing that God is a huge part of my life and the part of all of us. And people say, well, how can God allow this happen or that happen? The real question is, how can we allow these things to happen? Because one of our greatest gifts is free will. And we, as a species and as individuals, do not always make the best use of that gift. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mark, I love talking with you. Time goes by fast, though. What are you passionate about now? What's your most, what are you up to? I know you're writing the book, but 
Yeah, the the definitely the book. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely the the We Don't Die conference. I, I do want to talk about that. Yeah, for, let's talk for about it. So, but this is really exciting. Um, and thank you for inviting me to be the keynote speaker. So, I'll be giving a presentation on the science of the afterlife and reincarnation. But please do not expect watching algebra on stage. I promise you that is not going to happen. Okay, I, I take the edutainment. I like to educate and entertain. And and make it interesting and then i'll also be conducting an evening of spirit communication on sunday march 31st starting at 7 30 and i'll be connecting random audience members with loved ones and spirit and this whole event's going to be happening at the holiday inn resort at lake buena vista so for those of you who want to have the best vacation ever you'll get a full dose of afterlife and spirituality. And then when the conference wraps up, you've got Disney World and Universal not that far away right there. And uh, Sandra, we're going to have a number of speakers, including yourself. And and do you want to talk about some of the other people and topics we'll be discussing? Oh, absolutely. There's a handful of good uh mediums there as well, evidential mediums. There's a couple from Scotland who teach mediumship. But from a point where... We're all souls having a human experience. So they, they're give, giving us an exercise to kind of wake up our own soul power. Uh, Arizona Bell is coming. She is the co-founder of Spirit Guides Magazine. Um, Chris Fitting is one of the mediums, but he does something a little special. He's a spirit illustrator. So instead of just telling you who's around you, he's got his notepad out and it's just incredible the images that he creates. Uh, Dr. Sherry Pearl, I think, is the foremost agent on electronic voice phenomena. She's also uh, knows quite a bit about um, healing, the power of healing. So she'll be talking about that. I'm super thrilled. William Peters, who you and I both met last year, he has had a near-death experience and he makes his life about uh, talking about something called shared crossings, uh, not just near-death experiences, but there's something called a shared death experience that often the person next to a loved one will see the white light, will experience the same thing. And so he really takes away the fear of death, I feel, in his presentation. Uh, Scott Milligan will be there. He's the world's foremost tutor of physical mediumship. He does um, great. He's very funny and and, and lighthearted, but... Um, really talks about this something that seems really phenomenal and out there but it talks about physical mediumship throughout the the ages and i'm super excited that sonia rinaldi is coming from brazil sonia is the world's leading scientist on studying uh, capturing voices and photographs from people in the afterlife and it it may seem too good to be true, but it's not. I mean, she has been working in her laboratory with parents and friends and family of deceased people and the voices that she brings through and has recorded and the photographs are amazing. And for the last 32 years, I believe, she's only given it away. So it's not like she's somebody uh, trying to scam the world. I mean, she is the real deal. So I feel like there is the... A, a nice group of soul-centered people that are out to serve humanity and make a difference as opposed to those with the big egos just trying to get rich. So it is some place where whether you're someone who's experienced loss, uh, someone who, looking for answers, someone who just wants to find out more, it will be a transformational experience. It'll be fun. If you're traveling by yourself, we will be there to welcome you with open arms and it will be a life-changing event that you'll walk out having just some of the greatest friends forever that you can talk about these kind of conversations with. And what I like about this conference, um, I speak at several throughout the country, and they're all wonderful. But this one, we're not having two speakers um, speaking opposite. No. In other words, 
everyone that attends gets to see everyone because the biggest complaint that that I've seen is like some like oh we're the largest in the world we're this well bigger isn't always better sometimes what's better is to have quality speakers that everybody can see so that that there's not competition because I've heard a lot of people saying well I wanted to see this person and this person but they were speaking um, opposite one another and so Sandra has basically um, dumped everything that is wrong and is doing everything that is right <laughs> in these okay. conferences. Well, I mean, I, I speak at them all, all across, um, all across the country. And, uh, this one also, there's a number of good speakers, but people are not going to be overwhelmed by the numbers. This is a quality, this is a quality, uh, afterlife event and uh, I, I think for for people who are interested in this or people who want to learn more about exploring the afterlife near-death experience studies uh, spirit communication and who feel good about yourself this is the event for you and this is the we don't die Orlando and and what's the website on that well easy to remember we don't die Orlando.com doesn't get any easier than that. <laughs> That's great. And we are making a little vacation out of it, too. So don't be surprised if you go to Disney on the days after and you see me in line for Space Mountain. Well, I'll tell you what, living in Florida, um, the absolute best time of the year weather-wise is March and April. So you could not have selected weather-wise a better time. It's funny because I, I see all these people, oh, we're doing an event in July. And it's like, well, it's going to be one of three things, hot, humid, or a hurricane, or all three. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'm very excited about it, Mark. And I know from seeing you speak that it's just never enough time and you've been given 45 minutes here or there. And so you, you're going to be an hour and a half. If you want to take all that time, you can, but I just, I've always been left wanting more. And I just, even this interview now, I hang on every word you say and I'm entertained. I'm thought provoked. I'm inspired. I'm comforted. And I'm so grateful. I get to call you my friend. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, uh, thank you for having me on the show. And to all the listeners, please uh, visit the We Don't Die Orlando.com website. If you want to find out more about my tour schedule, which of course includes the We Don't Die Orlando um, Afterlife Conference, please visit evidenceofeternity.com. And I will be on tour nationwide. I look forward to uh, meeting you. Come up and tell me, hey, you heard me on Sandra Champlain's We Don't Die show. Uh, I love it when people tell me uh, the shows that, that they heard me on, particularly this one. Oh, great. And I just forgot also, if you're someone who is in the area and may not be able to attend the whole event on Sunday night. If you just want to come for this special evening with Mark Anthony, you can do that too. Just come in for Sunday night. So you can find out details about just getting a ticket to that. If you'd like, we don't die Orlando.com. So in closing, Mark, thanks again for being our guest on this great episode 300. <laughs> well, thank you. And to all the listeners, Many blessings, and uh, may you find peace, prosperity, and good health this year. Oh, couldn't have said it better myself. And our home base for this show is we don't die radio.com. And now you can find 300 episodes that will just really make a difference and support you wherever you're at. In closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I'm always so happy to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is so important. Visit our guest website, evidenceofeternity.com. Join us in Orlando, We Don't Die Orlando.com. I want to really thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.